Hi, and welcome to the final report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Hi. How are you guys? I'm good. How are you? Hectic. It's been a hectic morning, hasn't it, guys? And ladies oh, yeah. and gents. It's, it's been crazy. Yeah, you know, I've got the state championships coming up in Lexington, Kentucky this weekend. So I'm, I'm never too busy for the final report. But this has really been a busy time for me because I'm a sports writer. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this with us, Fletcher. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to do it. I, I can never tell you no, Heather. So. Well, um, so today's, I mean, this show is going to be, oh my God. I mean, we have so much information and I want to start by saying thank you for all the anonymous tips that we've received over the past week. Um, last week when I received a request to look at the Karen Swift case, I was almost completely ignorant of all the details of this case. Uh, between the autopsy and the tips, we have more information than we could possibly even get to before today's show. So um, I decided to start with the autopsy, and these are my initial thoughts after reading it. Uh, one, the killer did not plan this murder. If, uh, if he or she had, they probably would have had a better weapon than what I believe was either a golf club or a tire iron. Um, two, it was personal. Um, you have to be really angry with somebody to bash their skull in like that. And three, the fact that she was naked doesn't in indicate to me that she was raped, but rather that someone wanted us to believe that this was a rape. Um, in further researching the topic, I have found that the majority point to the most logical answer, which is the victim's husband, David Swift. However, uh, further research uncovers several other possibilities. Tracy, do you mind hitting us with the case facts? Okay, well, we got some good facts and rumors out. She was 44. She disappeared on October 30th, 2011, after this uh, party. This is all took place in Dyersburg, Tennessee. She had filed for divorce on October 11th, which was a few weeks prior. And the Halloween party, Friday night on the 29th. And uh, she picked her daughter up from another Halloween party because the daughter didn't feel well. She went home, laid down with her daughter. Right. And David supposedly saw her when she arrived at the home sometime around 145 with her daughter. And she was wearing jeans and a jacket. And that's what's important because I believe they found in the car a Halloween costume. Right. Her Catwoman costume. But that's not what she was wearing when she left. And we all know she was not wearing a pair of panties only. It right. was 45. It was 45 degrees that at that time. I don't care if it's 80 degrees. Nobody's, right, <laughs> nobody's leaving right. in a pair of underwear. Right. But also the fact that um, we had also discussed in many of our conversations that she possibly could have been meeting someone to have sex. You're not going to have sex outside. When it's 45, 45 degrees. degrees. That's just, so let's just throw that one right out. And, um, so the time frame is really confusing because it seems to be everybody's got a different time frame. Every news outlet has a different time frame. According to this timeline, Karen called David Swift around 1 a.m., then went and picked up their daughter and arrived at home around 1.45 a.m. So that would have put her leaving if it took her a while to um, you know, she laid down with her daughter, so it would have taken a while for the daughter to fall asleep and everything. So I wouldn't, I would say she couldn't have left before maybe 2.15 or so, 2.15, 2.30. And bars close at that time. I need to check into that. I'm not sure in Dyersburg because some, there's some places that they close at 1.30 and other places that they close at 3. But, um, that doesn't mean because I, I know she, um, she hung out at, uh, a couple different places around town with some friends and have been known to uh, go over there and party with them. So that doesn't mean she wasn't right. I'm, th I'm just thinking it wasn't a, um, an established business. 
And a cooler of beer was found in the back of her car, which I believe had um, a few missing out of it. So very well, she wouldn't have taken that into a an establishment. I, I would be interested to know, Heather, what if anybody, if you've inter- been able to interview anybody who was at this party that was at a club or a country club or some sort of club in, in Dyersburg as to what they remember her wearing. I'm assuming it was a costume party. Was she? Mm-hmm. It was the Catwoman costume. Okay. So she was seen at some point on the night she disappeared alive in a Catwoman costume, which is... Which mm-hmm. you know reminds me, there was some celebrity somewhere that that said about Halloween costumes that it was a good excuse for women to dress as ladies of the evening once a year, mm-hmm. once a year. You know, <laughs> you know, it's a funny thing, and I tell people this, and you know, back then I didn't think anything of it, but it's actually quite hilarious. I dressed as a streetwalker every year from like third grade to sixth grade. And my mother let this go. She thought it was cute, I guess. I don't know. You know, jeans, like short jean skirt and half top and, you know, fishnet pantyhose and all the whole nine yards. But what's funny is that, you know, pretty much everybody goes as a hooker on Halloween. Some are cat women hookers. Some are nurse hookers. Some are, you know, we're little Bo Peep with the skirt up to their yin yang. Yeah. Probably, probably one of the more um, honored I've ever been and flattered that I'd ever been was back when I was a lawyer, another lawyer, a friend of mine who had worked at a firm at which I had been employed, showed up at the firm's costume party uh, dressed as me. Uh, she, uh, she, she had, uh, she had the beard, she had the bow tie, she and I, and she she was worried that that I would be offended and I told her I said I don't believe I've ever been so singularly honored in my career. Yeah. Imitation is the best form of flattery. That's right, the finest form of flattery. Uh but th- these are the these are kind of the facts that you know th- this is a, a a situation where she's disappeared, they have found her, she is dead and they know a, a, a cause of death being uh suffering some form of blunt force trauma to the head is what I recall reading. And you have suspects uh, that are myriad, it seems, um, a a lot of them. And we really, that's kind of of where it is. Uh, It's a, it's an often reported on case uh, that, that when Bert joins us, he'll, he can talk about some of the coverage so I was just kind of wondering where you guys uh, are with it because it's it's this case as far as having the ability to garner media attention, which it certainly has. It has everything. It has the attractive victim. It has the salacious element of the swinging and and all of that kind of thing. The Catwoman suit. The the uh, the the uh, disagreement at the party about who had the rights to sleep with whose husband kind of deal. It I mean, it's Halloween. Got, you've got Halloween. Yeah. No, no more perfect time for something in a uh, cemetery. Like no happen. less. I mean, and a, body, and a body found a body found in the, I'm glad you brought that up. A body found in the cemetery. Um, and, and that with the, with the, uh, uh, it, nothing but panties yanked down to her knees. She was found in December. She wasn't found on Halloween, but yes. Right. And on that note, I think it's a good time to mention that that area had been searched previously on November 11th and that there was nothing there. They didn't find anything on November 11th. Which doesn't mean nothing was there. It just means she wasn't found. Well, you know, we had the same factual situation in the Holly Bobo disappearance where they went back to a place that had been previously scoured pretty thoroughly and didn't find anything. And this time they found the remains of Holly Bobo. What what remains they found were in a field where they had already uh, they had already searched before. So you've got two scenarios: either they missed, or she was laid thereafter. I, I have to admit that the circumstances surrounding this case do support the typical "the husband did it" scenario. Um, but I mean, like you just mentioned, you know, it also has the marking. It does have the markings of a serial killer all over it as well. Um, but, you know, thinking about that, the cemetery was in such a rural area. It was so off the beaten path that, um, I mean, it almost seems 
uh, obvious that it's somebody who is familiar with the area, you know, what are the chances that somebody would, you know, just come upon her by happenstance in the middle of nowhere in an area that people don't drive unless they're going to or from home. Okay. So here are some tips that we received. Um, there was anonymous source that claims that a young man in his twenties was making some drunken comments about hitting Karen with his truck and dumping her body. And I'm going to play a clip of an interview that I had with somebody that um, allegedly overheard this conversation. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I mean, we just, I was just at a party with a bunch of with a bunch of people in it, and uh, I don't know. I just he was talking about he he said he hit her with his truck, and then he he went on to say something about he put her in a rolled her up in a rug and put her somewhere in a rock pit somewhere out there in a millstill. I, I mean, I didn't really talk too much about it. I just kind of overheard the conversation with everything going on. Okay, so on one hand, I feel that, you know, that is a possibility. And of course, we're going to, um, as an investigator, I've got to follow, you know, every lead that I get. So I'm going to follow that one as well. Um, Tracy, what do you think about this? Do you think that her injuries are consistent with being hit by a vehicle? No. Now, I'm not saying 100% that it's not vehicular. Right. But and, and we're by no means experts no. in this area. Um, but just, you know, as somebody with somewhat uh, of an amount of knowledge uh, in the medical field, and I'd like to acknowledge Brittany Sesty helping me with a lot of this um, information. <laughs> but Fletcher also has. Uh, well, I, I defended murder cases and I've seen a lot of autopsy reports and uh, I've seen autopsy reports where they described dealing a blunt traumatic blow to the head. And I've never seen it used in a manner to denote that the instrument that dealt the, the blunt force trauma was, was a vehicle. They generally just, in, in an autopsy report, in any murder case I ever defended back in the day, they would generally denote that as hit by a vehicle, you know. And the trauma would, wouldn't be, uh, the trauma to the head was caused from falling back and the head hitting the ground, for instance. This, this report seemed to indicate that there was a an instrument, a blunt force instrument used uh, proactively and not as a result of being hit by a car, but proactively used in order to uh, bash the skull and, and to be the underpinning cause of death. I don't know if y'all have ever looked at this, but there's a guy out there called that has a blog called The Context of Things, and I ran across this when I was uh, uh, doing research for this broadcast today. And he's talking about this swift disappearance. And uh, he says in here, under a topic he calls logic, he said, David Swift isn't some criminal mastermind. He, he may have killed his wife, but in repeated interactions with police that they have had with him, uh, they still haven't been able to, to arrest him. Uh, the law enforcement uh, in the area uh, for three years aren't sufficiently confident that they could get a conviction uh, on, based on the evidence that, that they feel they have, which the which the sheriff has uh, described as uh, very strong circumstantial proof. Uh, but anyway, they haven't made an arrest. And, you know, most husbands, according to the bloggist, they get caught in these cases because they make some grievous mistakes. You know, they're, they're not killers. They're not criminal masterminds. They're husbands that are at the end of the rope who do something hideous and, and, uh, but, but they're not criminal masterminds. And so this guy finds it somewhat amazing that he hadn't been arrested after all this time. And it maybe he suggests this blog is suggest, maybe it's because he's not the guy. Uh, so, but, but one thing I wanted to talk about was when a police chief like, uh, or the, like Jeff box, uh, who's the sheriff, I think in, in, in Dyersburg, when he makes a comment, a public comment, I always thought when I got out of law that I should have become a media consultant 
maybe or or a, or a publicist, but because I I had a lot of experience, as y'all recall, dealing with talking to, being interviewed, and the like. And a, a, when you're being interviewed by the news media, you're never going to say, "Hey, we don't have anything," because if you say we don't really have anything, it doesn't put any impetus or pressure on the person who may be out there watching the newscast to turn himself in and try to work some sort of a deal in exchange for uh, surrendering him or herself, right? So they always characterize the nature and status of the case with, well, we have a lot, and we have a very compelling and strong circumstantial case that's not as strong as it will become, but we don't have any doubt it's going to get stronger. Well, in reality, they're misrepresenting the nature of their evidence because if they had, you know, you can convict someone on circumstantial proof. You ever heard of uh, Perry March and Janet Levine March? I mean, she, they, they never had, they never even had a body and convicted him of, of murder. Uh, so you can convict people on circumstantial proof. I'm telling you that the, the Jeff Box's comment that, Hey, we have a strong circumstantial case here is, is disingenuous. And I'm, I'm telling you it's disingenuous and I'm telling you why it is. There's a real there. There's a reason for why it's disingenuous. It's because they want they they're holding out hope that somebody will lose hope that they'll get away with it and try to negotiate some deal and help themselves by coming in and and telling them, hey, look, I did it, but you know, I want some consideration because I cooperated and and I turned myself in. Absolutely, Tracy. Did you want to say something? I did. When he brought up uh, what was said, there was also a quote in the paper that they had several suspects, but he's are persons of interest. He did not call them suspects, persons of interest. But he's narrowed it down to one. Now, I have a problem, Fletcher, with the word narrow. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that you have... Um, okay, Eliminated. Yes. Eliminated the other suspects. Would you say narrow it down? Is that something you would say in law enforcement, Fletcher? Well, you have to remember, you, you have to remember Tracy and, and Heather, what they're trying to do here. The, the name of the game in, political, in uh, police investigation is really obtaining confessions, right? How many, how many times do you see someone convicted who's kept their mouth shut? It's very rare in a criminal investigation that they get sufficient evidence that they really don't need some sort of a statement out of the target. Or, or, you know, they, they need, so everything in police work is, is kind of centered around, if you take the uh, Robert Mueller's investigation presently of the 45th president of the United States, you know, he's trying to flip people and get people to give him statements against uh, the targets of his investigation, this Russian collusion investigation. And the reason being is, is because that is the, you know, out of all the criminal tools employed by people who investigate crimes, that one gets used in 95% of cases and all the other tools from physical evidence to footprint analysis to DNA, that's the other 5%. And even when they have a case they feel like is a codlock case from a standpoint of physical evidence, they're still trying to get the guy to give them a statement, right? Okay, so that was just not so much for uh, the reader. That was more geared at someone they wanted to confess. Yes. I gotcha. Right. They're, they're not talking, they're not talking to the reader. They're not talking to the public. They're not talking to the people watching the newscast. They're talking to the person out there that they know or believe did it. And they're telling this person, it's only a matter of time. We're going to get gotcha. you. You better come in now. You better cut your deal now. You know, they're trying to create panic in the, not in the mind of the public, they're trying to avoid panic in the mind of the public. They're trying to create panic in the mind of the target. Right. And also I'll mention that um, I've seen a lot of reference to the search warrant that David was served in, I believe, July. Um, I've also confirmed that there were earlier searches um, with Illuminol. And, in, and this is in the early days. And... Uh, you know, some people think that something happened at the house and that um, her body was later dumped. And that's just, I, I, I would have to say, it's virtually impossible. 
Well now, well, now, Heather, you need to tell the listener what luminol is. And luminol is a substance that is meant to uh, uh, bring out the existence of blood. That even minuscule amounts of blood, traces of blood under luminol will manifest themselves. And, and what you're saying is that they went over the Swift household with luminol in order to determine whether there were even faint traces of blood or DNA material, and there weren't. Now, um, the type of injury she had, is it where you bleed out or is it where you bleed in? Again, and I'm using my experiences as a former criminal defense attorney, the injury described in the autopsy report of a blow to the head with blunt force trauma generally indicates internal bleeding. But not external necessarily. Not external necessarily, right? Because that's what the, uh, the, the, the subdural hematoma, which is the internal bleeding that results in, a, in, a, in what oftentimes can kill, that it, it can kill in the brain. You suffer trauma, have a subdural hematoma, pressure on the, on the brain resulting from the bleeding all internally. Doesn't even, you don't even have a mark outside of the strike mark. Uh, that, that oftentimes indicates, I got the impression when I read it, that it was internal bleeding. Okay. That's what I thought. Some, sometimes I'm relying on 200 cases of defense and years and years of criminal practice in order to arrive at these impressions. And maybe I'm overlooking something that's on there that would have led me to a different impression, but I've been already colored by my experiences. (laughs) And I've read that too. I've, I've also read that information not in the report, but on uh, research that it can definitely not necessarily bleed out. So she could have been killed in the house, where there's that word could, could have been killed in the house and not show up on luminol. But you but, know, some some genetic material would have shown up in the, in, in, in the crime scene if that's where she were killed, though. But she lived there. Well, yeah. So there'd be some material there. You're right. It, it doesn't mean necessarily... I don't think any of us are saying that it's impossible that it was her husband. I'm just saying right. that it doesn't look to me. It doesn't really fit. Uh, uh, I think there are other suspects that if I were running the investigation, I would be targeting. But, uh, you know, I agree. I agree. Yes. Uh, so I, I, that's really what I'm saying. I couldn't be a jury jurist. I would say not guilty because I just I, even if I thought maybe. I don't have enough to tell me that this man is guilty. Well, you know, Tracy, this is right up your alley, but would you not agree with me that whomever killed her hated her? Ooh, yeah. Or was mad at the time. Mad at either either inflamed, either either operating under severe passion, you know, murder in the heat of passion, whatever, operating under severe passion or hated her. Or drugs. Drugs and alcohol. Altered in an altered state. Heather, you and Tracy, would you agree that it appears from the way that the body was left and the condition in which it was left, maybe even where it was left, that it appears that jealousy, hatred, or some uh, heated emotion was the underpinning of this, undertaking this particular attack? I mean, the only other... The only other thing that that could make any sense that would be equally as brutal would be a serial killer. Serial killers don't tend to know the area. And where she was left, you would have to know that cemetery was there. And the fact that she was not buried or at least covered up, just like Fletcher was alluding to, that it was somebody trying to show. It shows that it wasn't someone that was sorry that she was dead and had a had went like oh my god I can't believe I killed this person that I loved and um did not cover her up did not put a blanket on her just left her out like that right so let's talk about some of the other possibilities um I mean I've I've received some tips and I've made some phone calls um was able to confirm that Karen had gotten into another altercation at the dance studio where her kids took classes. Um, The witness claims that Karen actually shoved this woman up against a wall, and this reportedly happened shortly before her disappearance. So that's another option. Let's talk about that a little bit. Do any of us know, and I don't, but do any of us know 
what kind of a person uh, Karen was from people that had known her a while, because she's getting a real bad rap uh, as far as some of the conduct being attributed to her in some of these interviews. And when I look at her picture, and, and Heather, I'm going to share with you now a picture of her and, and uh, her husband. And I think I, if I should have shared it, I'll share it with, with uh, Tracy, too. So, And she just doesn't strike me. Of course, I, I used to read people's faces for a living. I was kind of like Kenny Rogers and the Gambler. I had to know by looking at someone if I wanted to keep them on a jury or not. She, she doesn't give off to me. Uh, the she doesn't have the affect that the visual affect of someone who engages very regularly in the conduct that has been attributed to her on this particular. When I look at her, I see your typical cornbread-fed Southern and spunky as hell. I agree, woman. That's she's. I I can see she's she's a beautiful girl, and um. And, but that doesn't mean everything. I know, you know, even just from my hometown, some of the most beautiful girls in my hometown could throw down. I see a confident woman. I see a strong Southern woman. And I see somebody who, yeah, I mean, if somebody crossed her or threatened her children or badmouthed her children, as, uh, as is the case in the altercation at the dance studio, um, when, especially when it comes to the people she loves, I believe Karen was a mama bear and she could tear somebody up. I'm listening to one. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you would know that better than I. I was really, this was one of these questions that you never ask when you are an attorney. I was asking you a question, the answer to which I really didn't know. I just wanted, I wanted your impression as to what you thought when, when, when you looked at her. Now I know I've heard that she was a great mom and then somewhere, you know, you read these remarks and you have no idea if it's rumor if it's bs that she was working um, at habitat i'm thinking that meant habitat for humanity i'm not certain it could be some other it could be a an animal shelter for all i know but uh it seems like she had a um a really good heart so that's yeah so that's kind of the feeling now the other things I've seen women like that. I've known women like that. I've loved women like that, but um, not love, love. Let me just, I have a heart of gold and I'm a grandma. So let's go there. That's, <laughs> but um, she just seems like a really, uh, you know, the typical, not someone that is the saint with a halo that everybody always finds fault with them. But I also find that a lot of people who are, and I'm not saying anybody who said these things are the guilty person, but a lot of people who are protecting or guilty tend to throw the victim under the bus. Sure. And here's the problem. Um, everybody's human. And, you know, when when something happens to you like this or any time that you are thrust into the public eye, I mean... There's going to be, you're, you're, I don't care who you are. Um, if somebody digs far enough into your life, into your, I mean, people are going to find dirt. Um, the problem is that, you know, when it does get out there, then you've got your people that want to be judgmental that, you know, will say things like, well, you know, she was just, uh, she was a slut or she was, you know, confrontational and she started fights or whatever they want to say. And, you know, she got what's coming to her and whatever, you know, people can say that all they want, but nobody is perfect. And, um, you know, I, I would, I would be terrified to see what people would say about me if something happened to me. Oh yeah. Aren't we all? I'll tell you this as someone who lived much of his professional life on the six o'clock news. The one, the one good thing about being Fletcher Long, and there are not many good things about it. But oh, the one good thing, the one good thing was, I was, my life was so heavily covered that there's uh, almost nothing about me to left to be learned, right? I mean, but that's the good thing. The bad thing is, is what's out there about me is pretty bad. So, <laughs> and, and you know, that's because it's all out there. Right. But 
everybody has their everybody out yes, there and right. it's not out there because nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. But that's a risk that we all take um, by being in the spotlight because, right. you know, and I, and yes. I often say, you know, if you don't have haters, then you're not doing something right because anytime you're doing, you know, making any sort of impact in the world, there is going to be adversity. Mothers of victims. Oh my gosh. And the family of victims. Oh, they get bashed horribly. They, horribly. They, they really it's, do. It's, it's disgusting. Really. And, 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 you know, there, Dick Cheney once said that, that dogs didn't bark at parked cars. And I think Heather, that speaks to what you're saying. And, and you're right. There's a, but the, the main thing is this, as you learn things about, uh, Karen Swift and what kind of person she was or wasn't, and what kind of lifestyle in which she engaged or didn't. Remember that there were really, there's only two kinds of people in the world, the caught and the uncaught. And there's somebody out there, uh, uh, a, an entity out there, a deity out there before whom we're all caught that sees everything. But all of us have, all of us have something about us that probably does not recommend us for the uh, for the uh, uh, the church finger sandwich social. Of the, well, they don't they don't belong there either. <laughs> and they don't right. They, they nobody belongs there. Mother Teresa is the only one I can think of. <laughs> and yeah, and say and, and some dude they 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 called Yeshua that guy, and and we convicted him of a crime and killed him. So that. That really shows what we've been all about from for for millennia. Uh, but she, getting back to Karen Swift, and of course, and and I send stuff to y'all, Tracy and Heather, that you could put up or not put up. But I found online that kind of I don't think that's Karen Swift in the Catwoman outfit, but I think that it is a, a legitimate or is being held out to be a legitimate representation of the outfit she would have worn. And I think that it's somewhat as someone that uh, that has defended cases before many of them. When I look at that, what it tells me is it might provide motive, because if, if you're as attractive as Karen Swift undoubtedly was, you're dressed like that. You're at a party. There is drinking and there's this, uh, you know, you're sleeping with my husband. Uh, you bitch kind of aspect going on. And sh that's how she may or may not have been dressed. That is the costume. It all kind of bubbles over into this um, cauldron of potential jealousy, which could be the basis of a strike out at someone. Right. Well, here's another scenario. Um, uh, well, or circumstance surrounding this case. Um, there was actually a man who lived on the same street as the Swifts who was poisoning dogs in the neighborhood. Um, some of the neighbor's dogs actually died, uh, but the Swifts dog didn't die, just got sick. And charges were filed against this man and later dropped. Uh, supposedly, he was told to leave the state and never come back and that he did go to Oklahoma, but rumor has it that he may actually be back around uh, Dyersburg. So there's that. And um, witnesses said that uh, Karen had actually confronted him, you know, like gone to his house and, you know, face to face confronted him. You know, that used to be a that used to be a sanction that a criminal court could levy against people. And I'm talking about way back in like the 20s and 30s. And the sanction was called banishment. Right. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a very famous defendant who was also maybe the the most famous trial lawyer in the history of this country. Clarence Darrow was ordered banished from California. He had been indicted three times by the state of California. He won the first two trials. The third time he was banished from California, and it was shortly before he came to Tennessee and tried the famous Scopes Monkey Trial. So the, there is some precedence for the banishment. Now, it, the, the DAs recognize that that's not a lawful sanction. There's nothing in the law that permits them to do this, but I have had a DA look at me and say, you know what, Long, 
If I never have to see your client again, I might be disposed to dismiss the case on cost. You know, and then, and then you look at your client and go, well, you've been banished. <laughs> you've been banished from the county or from the state or whatever. And it sounds to me like that, you know, you go around killing people's dogs in West Tennessee, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. But you don't think that that could have risen to a motive to kill a human, do you? Because there's quite a bit of difference. I think that if the opportunity arose, maybe. And since this man lived on the same street and Karen's uh, car had a flat, you know, assuming that that is a legitimate flat and not another, you know, stage like her being naked. But um, assuming that it is a legit flat, if the opportunity arose and he just happened to be coming to or from his house and saw her, sure. Let me ask you a question, and this is a question for Tracy too. How many? How what? What percentage of people do you expect have the capacity to end a human life? Fletcher, I don't do M A T H. That's a four-letter word. Okay, so you're saying that. If they're sufficiently, you know, altered because of, of a meth addiction, which we all know to be rampant in that area of Tennessee. Because I'm just sitting here thinking that one thing that police officers have to take into account in investigating a homicide when they're identifying targets is, is you know, taking a human life. I've never done it. I don't I don't believe I could do it. I, I may, may, Maybe I could if they were posing... Uh, deadly harm to my children or me or my wife, but I don't, I don't know that I could do it. And that, you know, I know this, if I got turned in for killing dogs. Well, the thing is Fletcher about that, just, just as a, as a thought, um, we've got the, uh, God, what was it? The New York, the guy that shot everybody in New York, the dog, Son of Sam. Okay. The son of Sam guy. Right. Man, he, you know, uh, maybe, maybe that was just his first step. You know, that's kind of a stupid question for me to ask, isn't it? Because oftentimes sociopathic behavior uh, manifests itself in children by by cruelty and torture of animals. No, it was it was great because we brought it out. And I also have a comment about the Catwoman costume. If this is the one that she actually wore, well, there's something to... like it. Is what I'm right. If I have to say that um, her walking into anybody and flirting, I have to say I'd be a little bit jealous if I didn't know her. And I might even be a little bit jealous if I did know her. And she was talking to my husband. I might get my little. This woman did actually know her. And as a matter of fact, she's the daughter of a neighbor. And, um, there's so many, so many interesting, um, facts surrounding this particular theory. Um, and one is that her father who has a lot of money, and I want to be really careful not to, um, identify anybody because, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to make accusations that are false. And obviously we have a lot of suspects here. So while one of them may be right, then that means the rest of them aren't right. So those are people that we're making false accusations towards, and I don't want to do that. However, uh, this man does have a lot of money, and apparently, from what I've been told, uh, there was a um, financial dealing that had gone bad sometime in the past involving this man, and that the person that uh, had the falling out with him um, did not testify against him because he was afraid because apparently, um, this man had made, uh, a threat to kill him. And this is the father of the woman that Karen supposedly got into an altercation with that night. Um, so there's bad blood. It, yes. I mean, and there's, and there's that connection. So here's another interesting fact surrounding that is that, um, so we know that that area was searched on November 11th. This woman's father was supposedly seen, uh, with a metal detector looking for something, um, around where her body was found prior, prior to her body being found. And when he was asked what he was looking for, um, his answer was a watch. Which, if that was true, I find really interesting because that would mean that 
if, if, big if, if he did have anything to do with her murder, um, then if that's true, that that means that possibly uh, the murderer lost a watch in the process of killing her or dumping her body. Why would you be there? Why would anybody be there? And if they lost a watch, um, just by chance, why would you be there and know that that's where you lost your watch? That's very, very um, interesting. Has anybody thought that perhaps his father had gotten in league or in bed with the wrong types and that that might have... That that might have been a substantial source of his wealth, and that he may have Joe Kennedyed, if you will, because that was one of the rumors about the Kennedy uh, uh, assassination. John Kennedy is that Joe Kennedy had uh, had uh, uh, was that that John Kennedy was being shot as a message to him, you know, because he he made his fortune as a running blockades and delivering Irish whiskey. Now, you know, enough of the history lesson, but has anybody thought that this killing of Karen was a message sent? Because the, the body's left in a way is to send a message to me. There was a message to be conveyed the body, when that body was found. It was either, this is what, it was either, this is what you get when you screw with people's husbands, or it could have been something else. But it seems to me like there was some message intending to be conveyed. I don't know if I necessarily see a message to somebody else, but just a message about how they felt about Karen. Um, but I know that that thought hadn't crossed my mind, but it's certainly a possibility. I'm just wondering if anybody thought about that. No, I, I sure hadn't. I don't, I don't know if she was purposely murdered. I think it's more of it just happened. Right. It wasn't, it certainly, but, it wasn't a planned, it wasn't a, a planned murder. But dumping her body, um, dumping a body, usually you hide it. And this body was not hidden. The way in which this body was found was meant to convey a message. Here's another thing that could be related. Um, there's a man named Robert Robinson who had made a statement to the media um, it was a brief statement and it wasn't, it wasn't pointing a finger at anybody, but interestingly enough, he disappeared shortly after giving a statement to the media about Karen's uh, disappearance. But it, but it was such a, it was such a, um, the statement that he gave or the statement that they wrote about, I don't know if they said everything he said was so mundane and so generic that it just doesn't seem like it would be part of this at all. However, did we cover the um, Farms Country Club? Yes, um, I, I was able to confirm um, that the Farms Golf Club, where the Hall par uh, Halloween party was that night, um, it was broken into the following Tuesday. And surveillance videos from that night were stolen. Um, additional damage was minimal. Only, uh, I believe two golf clubs were stolen. And I was able to speak with the owners of the farms. They, you know, like I said, they did confirm, but, um, part of our continued investigation will be to follow up and try to find out exactly what was stolen and exactly how much damage there was. So the, the golf clubs would have nothing to do with with killing her with golf clubs because it was so it was after. after right the only thing i could think of that that might link that is if one of the golf clubs stolen actually was the murder weapon which is unlikely but it, it is a thought that crossed my mind i'm thinking it would have been bent up and really messed up you would have had to throw you know how away. hard it is to bend a golf club i don't i don't know i'm not unless they were a hulk Oh, you don't think it would bend if you if you knock somebody nah. with it? This is a pretty swanky club too. I'm I'm getting pictures of it online, which I'm going to share with you too. Uh, but this is a really pretty swanky uh, club. Let me ask you this question: Don't you find it odd that they stole the? I mean, I, clearly, I think the break in at the club is related to her disappearance and ultimate uh, demise because. Why would you, out of all the surveillance tapes that you could have taken, 
I mean, they had more than that one night. Why did they focus? Why did they get that night? Um, I don't know. I don't think it was just that night, but that night was definitely included in the portion that was taken. Well, that's, you know, that's why I kind of introduced to you a moment ago. Would, was this some sort of a hit meant to send a message from a bad business deal into which her, you know, because, you know, some of this stuff is sounding professional jobbish as opposed to it. Some of it looks like something that was done by someone who knows how to do it and stage it and make it look like it's a crime of passion. Maybe make it look like it could have been a rape and a murder. If they knew what they were doing, they certainly did not do it right. No, I think they did it exactly right. Yeah, you remember that. Remember that whoever did this, whether no matter whom it is, is at large, and it, and she's been gone. What? How, how many years now? Seven years. Seven years. So they did it pretty right. <laughs> I mean, they're they're at they're at large and. And they found a body, and they they don't even have anybody that they can charge. It, it reminds me, I was being interviewed on television one time, Tracy, and you know I was Arthur March's attorney, and he had got he had gotten rid of Janet's body, right? And they still haven't found it. Yeah, Arthur got rid of it, and Arthur told him how he did it. And I was on this television show, and some caller called in and said, "That is, there is no way that you could get rid of a human body that way." And I responded to the caller on television. I said, how dare you, sir, tell Arthur March how to dispose of human remains? I mean, he has done such a fantastic job. of <laughs> They have never found this body. They've never found the first fingernail of this body. I don't think Arthur right. March needs advice from you or anyone else on the proper ways to do <laughs> Yeah. <That's right. laughs> you obviously don't know with whom you're dealing here. Arthur March was the, uh, was the uh, uh, Michelangelo of disposing of human remains. Uh, well, my comment, my comment was meant more towards the fact that the panties were not in the position of a sexual attack. If that's what they were trying to convey, that's where my, I really think, well, I, I agree with what you're saying. Okay. And I don't know if they were trying to stage it to, I think that it seems to me like that the way in which the body was left, the way in which the killing occurred, and some of the other surrounding circumstances that maybe her being killed was a message to someone and her being found in the, in the state in which she was found was also a message. Now what that, now what that, what that exact message is would have to be answered by someone involved in whatever transaction summoned the necessity for the message. But I think that, I think it seems to me to be, uh, sort of a, a message. Yeah, definitely the dumping of of her in the um, cemetery was was some type of message for sure. I, I think we made some progress here, though. I think the team is may have stumbled on a theory that's more palatable than what the police have been following to date. So I agree, Fletcher. That's true. That's true. Do you guys have anything else you want to add before we uh, close out? Well, I think it's a shame. It seems to me that there are a lot of people that go missing in this area of Tennessee, and there's clearly a problem down there that is that is the basis. It seems to me that there seems that there's a concentration of similar events of this nature occurring within a pretty concentrated part of the state of Tennessee, and there may be some reason that that underpins why it seems to always occur here. Heather, do you have your statistics on how many people go missing in a day? I don't. I can tell you um, back when I was really involved with the Q Center for Missing Persons that I did create a video that can be found on YouTube that had those statistics as they were relevant in um, 2011, 2012. And back then it was equivalent to a plane and a half of people falling out of the sky a day. A jumbo jet. Right. And, you know, to add to that, uh, again, I don't know if these are up-to-date statistics, but back then, uh, Tennessee had the highest number of unsolved murders and missing persons cases. So, wow. 
makes you really uh, feel safe about where we live, doesn't it? I don't live in Tennessee. Oh, yeah, that's right. Lucky <laughs> you. Fletcher. You know, in the words of Bill Murray from Caddyshack, so we have that going for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully this is one that will be solved soon, and hopefully we'll have a hand in that. Well, guys, um, Bert was not able to join us today, um, but we are definitely going to have a part two of this. Um, we have received so much information, and there was just absolutely no way for me to follow up on everything prior to our show today. So we'll have a follow up, and we'll get Bert on for that one. I just want to say HMC Investigations appreciates all the information that you've sent us pertaining to this case. We intend to continue our investigation and follow up uh, in the next month or so with part two of the murder of Karen Swift. In the meantime, what was that? (laughs) Sorry. In the meantime, if you have information, please call the Dyer County Sheriff's Department at 731-285. 2802 or the TBI at 1 800 TBI find. Anonymous tips can be called in to 731 285 tips. And of course, we'll be taking uh, tips with HMC investigations. You can send anything that you might have to the final report podcast at gmail.com or visit our website where you can send us an anonymous uh, message through there. Um, any information provided to us through the course of our investigation will be turned over to the proper authorities. And this concludes today's episode. Next week, we'll be discussing the Bourbon Trail murders. Um, the case facts have been uploaded to our platform and are ready for your review, Tracy and Fletcher. And we will see you next week on the final report. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Fletcher? Yes. Goodbye. We'll see you <laughs> we will see you next week. I, I wasn't sure if y'all wanted me to say anything or not. We'll see you next week. <laughs> sure. All right. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye.